Hello, everyone, and welcome again to another episode of Wednesday Night Live. Now, this is Ron Crawford coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas, and it is a privilege to be able to reach out to our Saints Network family and to speak a continuing blessing over each one of you. I daily speak blessing over my church here, and I I greet all of you to this broadcast who would normally, in years past, have been here on Wednesday nights. But um, things being as they are for the current time, um, we are where we are. So blessings to all of you. I continue to speak the covering of the blood of Jesus over you, and uh, we trust in that. For those of you who are battling against specific points of physical attack or any other measure of enemy intrusion, we stand strong before the Lord together, and I ask that God would arise and that he would scatter the enemy from you and uh, endure, endure, and you will overcome. Stand. When you've done all to stand, stand therefore. Um God gives us some of the greatest victories we will ever know simply because we stand and like a tree planted by the waters, we will not be moved. Do you ever think about that? This is not the topic for the day, but the tree of righteousness is planted by the waters during the time of drought. Did you ever take that into consideration that there could be times of drought that come against you in many different ways where you know during the drought things are dry the sun is beating down you know you're you're facing in the extremities of the limbs uh witherings and those kinds of things it's then that you have to dig deeper to the to the river source that you know is our god and so being a tree planted by the river sounds real fruity and peachy keeny, but it also throws in there that even during the time of drought, you're going to have victory. Some of you are facing challenges. You're tapped into the river of God. And you think, well, here at this river, I could just bind and rebuke. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, God's just going to cause this river to get up and flood over this thing. Well, if you're a tree, you really don't want floods. You know, you ever see the, uh, you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh and we had a lot of streams and creeks and we had three rivers. And after a flood, you'd see all kinds of trees and big logs just floating down that river. It was an obstacle. So floods really aren't what a tree wants. Trees want their roots to be supplied. And that's where you need to tap into right now. Get, get, get that tap and root. Um, so we stand with you and we proclaim the abiding presence of God. And we proclaim that from the innermost place, you know, when drought comes, the roots go deeper. You're being deepened by this. You're being strengthened by this. And through this overcoming, you're going to be able to bear much more fruit than you ever did. And even, uh, you know, the Bible speaks about pruning. During the time of drought, the tree self-prunes in some ways. Uh, you will see branches that really were not going to be sustainable dry up and they'll snap off and fall. A good wind will, will break them. I have a huge red oak tree in my backyard and I watch this happen all the time. Yes, we bring in a tree pruner and he he does things to keep that tree active and healthy and away from the power lines. But I also see during 100 degree stretches that um, there are some branches that just self prune. So be confident. And, um, And I'd say that to all of us in these really unique days which are the foothills of the times of the end. We're going to talk about that today from a theme that we've never discussed before, 
but I do believe it is a rhema word and a pneumatikos understanding for us. So I'm very much excited about it. Uh, turn in your Bible with me to Luke chapter 21, beginning at verse 25. Now we're going old school today. I don't have a teaching sheet for you simply because this theme is something that I'm bringing. I'm going to explain it. You can study and extrapolate it for yourself. You need to f use this meat and you need to chew it up and let it be digested. But there are a lot of offshoot teachings here. And if I started putting an outline together, it'd be seven, eight pages long and we still wouldn't cover it. It's very easy for you to do this study for yourself. So just take some notes and do that. Do I sound like I'm speaking condescendingly? No, I'm speaking to you very kindly. I mean, you should be, you should go to a, a real seminary sometime. You should go to a higher dimension, maybe doctoral studies. They're not babying you, making it simple. They give you things and then you have to do the research. You folks are on a master's level. You pneumaticos people, all of us need to act like we are that. God has given us the tools. He's given us study um, resources, and we need to start using them because I'm going to tell you something. I can teach you all day long, and you can be blessed by that. But where you really learn is when you study. When you really learn is then when you have to reiterate what you've studied. That emblazons things into your short and long-term memory unlike anything that you will hear on this broadcast. So we're giving you tools, we're giving you keys, and in this pneumaticos hour, we all need to study to show ourselves approved, a workman needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You want me to divide it all for you and make it simple and lay it all out? Well, we've done that over the years, and we have reams of materials that are ready. But now is the time where we need to be students. Now, I'm not, I, I'm also saying this. There's a lot of teachings out there. Um, you know, when you go into college, you're supposed to choose a career path. You're not sitting in advanced whatever it might be. Uh, I mean, I, whatever your rule of, of study is, uh, your course, your progression. Let's say you're in pre-law and you're studying about torts. Uh, you're not sitting there with your tort book thinking, I wonder what they're teaching down the hall. I wonder what they're teaching across the, across the way there. You know, I, I hear them laughing in there. Their teacher's just having a high time. They may be studying underwater basket weaving. I'd like to know about that. Well, get out of your course of pre-law and go in there and be a, be a doofus. So stay focused on what the Spirit is bringing you. Don't be chasing a bunch of red herrings. Nobody will learn that way. You know, I had to, I had to, I had to grasp that when I was uh, in grade school. And uh, I've said this before, and I think my youngest daughter, Katie, kind of inherited some of this. Kelly was more driven, still is. But Katie just saw things through a kaleidoscope. I would be sitting in class uh, in third and fourth grade, and I made straight A's, so I wasn't some doofus kid shooting spitwads in the back of the class. But I would be hearing the teacher. I would be thinking of funny things. I would be thinking about, you know, a note I needed to pass to my friend. I needed to think about what I was going to do at recess. Uh, I needed to think about, you know, what, what new TV show might be coming on. And it's okay if you do that, if you understand the topic. And my teacher would always say, you know, in the report cards, lacks self-control, which was the only thing they could say was that this kid, his mind is going everywhere. But if I was making D's or F's or even C's, which nobody in my house would have cared about, um, really making a C, as long as I passed and didn't embarrass my family, that was it. But you have to train your mind. And you better know, as a saint, what God is giving you to know. 
And you better leave all those other things secondary. Um, you know, sometimes saints can tell me more about the latest book on Elijah list, and I bless them, than they can about what God's been trying to teach us. That, that should never be. Choose the camp. Choose you this day who you'll serve and devote yourself to it and be that. There's nothing wrong with multitasking as long as you know this is the one that I need to master and master it. So anyway, thus endeth that rejoinder. So here we are, Luke uh, 21, verses 25 through 33. Jesus is saying this. There shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven, the dunamis of heaven will be shaken or the way the heaven operates will be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power, dunamis, and great glory. When these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh. He spoke to them a parable, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is now at hand. So likewise ye, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. This generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Several things here, and then we'll get to the point that the Spirit is highlighting for this time. Verse 33 speaks about the, the power and the necessity of the words the Word of God. That's been under attack over the past couple of years, more so in devious ways than any other time. We need to remember that. Um, the fig tree, that indicates, from many other teachings we've done, uh, indicates sensitivity to God, seeking after Him for commune and revelation from Him, and being able to provide for what God wants, even if it's before the normal season. Because God always has a forerunner. So Jesus talks about those two things. He also says that when these cataclysmic things for the end time begin to come to pass, and I think we're there, we're beginning. We're at the beginning. It's like Churchill said, this is not the end. You remember that great phrase? Um, it's, it's not the end, but it's perhaps the beginning of the end. I'm, reiter I'm, just, I'm just quoting that loosely. But what I want us to look at today is something that the Father speaks. It's, it's um, through Jesus. You need to look up, verse 28, and lift up your heads, for redemption draws nigh. Now here's a study three things. If you look up redemption, it's a ransom. Um, ransom, the word ransom, the, the root word is really not used as a concept in Scripture. Um, but, but, the, but what is the result of the ransom is there. So you have the redemption of the body throughout Scripture. You, you should look up this word. And it speaks about um, how that we really, we're, we're forgiven, we're born again, but our full redemption has not yet come. And so we, we need to continue to press forward, forward toward when that culmination of what God paid the price for comes. And that's really the essence of redemption throughout the epistles. It is the, the application of what the fullness of the payment of God is. And um, so we find that we should be praying for that. We find that we should be looking for that. We find that we should be pressing for that. And uh, that's, a, that's a labor. Um, so 
we we have that earnest, but we press forward toward the fulfillment. So that's one study you should do, but that's not the main topic. The Bible, Jesus also says that we should we should um, look up, and this is a, a strange combination of terms, because it means to to unbend and to reconfigure in an upward way. Strange, strange combination. This is still not the topic we're looking at today, but we need to, we need to see this. There are so many influences right now that would try to get you to be bend, bent, to bend down to give up, to be in fear and to cower, to have trepidation, you know, um, men's hearts failing them for fear. We need to reject that. It's kind of like what we, when we talked about the, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The spirit of heaviness is really working uh, uh, quite um, quite diligently today to, to cause believers and to cause the world to cower. And Jesus says the first thing we have to do here, it's a threefold, it's a threefold thing, is to recognize where, wherever we're doing that, wherever we're bending, and to redirect and look upward. Uh, it's, it's something that we have to do personally. We can't expect somebody else to keep exhorting us. And I think that's why some people just look out over the internet and listen to all kinds of teachings because they want somebody else to give them a key that will lift this unbending and, and uh, really give them open field running. And really, this is a commandment to you as an individual. You need to stop being, you need to stop cowering and remember that you are to look up. You are beyond the influences of this world. We're in the world, not of them. And that's something that we need to, that we need to truly do every day. I'm telling you, me personally, it has been a daily battle for me for the past, I don't know how long, to, to take authority over the spirit of heaviness and to not become encumbered by the weight of this world and to purposely look up. It is a daily regimen, and I think part of it, you know, um, the, the spirit of heaviness will try to weigh you down by grabbing on to things that you don't need to be holding on to. And um, I think that this is why the Apostle Paul said, I die daily. You, you've, got to, you've got to surrender to the Lord and, you know, and, and to go further. I think that's why we talked about Isaac. He had to be at that well uh, where God, as the, as the ultimate Elohim, as the seer, opened the well. We have, to, we have to move past those things because they will drag you down. They will hold you down. It's kind of like that other teachings that we've done where, you know, it talks about you know, don't pick up a lot of things in your arms and trying to be holding all these things at once. You need to press forward into the Lord and let those things go. There's a way you can deal with issues without being encumbered by them. It's so easy to be, be encumbered by them. And so this is how Jesus begins. When you begin to, when these things begin to come to pass, you look up. Don't allow them to bend you down. Unbend and look up. And I wonder, I'm not, I don't know. 
I, I wonder about the, the woman who Jesus identified in the synagogue as a, as a daughter of Abraham who was all bowed down, was all bent over. And Jesus said that Satan had done it. And she, he said, should not this daughter of Abraham be freed on this, the Sabbath, to, to enter into that seventh-day rest? And although it's a different, it, it's a concept. And I wonder if that wasn't a word for those who are the, the, the child of Abraham in faith, that you have to not let Satan bow, bow you down and bind you down. You need to be straightened and look up. So, then it comes to lift up your heads. And you have a threefold progression here. We're going to concentrate on what lift up your heads means. But the first thing you have to do is look up to remember who you are and to remember what God has called you to be and that you're in this world and not of it. You've got to do that. And the end result would be that you are pressing forward that what Jesus paid the price for you to know and be will actually come to an eternal point of fruition. Because that's what the enemy hates. That's what he's really fighting against. Yes, you're a born again. I'm not speaking a gospel of works. Yes, your sins are forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus. We often think that's all redemption is. Redemption is the beginning point for the ultimate point of ransom to be actualized. So you have a threefold thing here, but lift up your heads. Now, this term, lift up, is being addressed to our head. What is your point of authority? <clears throat> what has Jesus called you to do? He's the covering over your head. And you need to have that lifted up. Your perspective, you need to look up. Your perspective needs to be right. And then you position your head for this lifting up toward the ultimate goal of the ransom being fully actualized. Um, lift up is uh, a term, a Greek term, epero. And this is a unique word because it means to, um, to swear to something. It means to make a, uh, a vow and, and to honor the fact that you are, um, you are making a public testimony to everyone that you are committed to this thing. It's where we get, raise your right hand. Do you solemnly swear to da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da? And you say, I do, I will. That the lifting of the hand in that vow, in that solemn attestation, is what this word means. And um, it's the raising of a hand in an oath. Ep arrow. Now you're going to find also illustrations of this just using arrow, A-I-R-O, in the scripture. Some of you are going to find them and say, Pastor Ron, why didn't you talk about that? Because I'm only talking about epiaro here. Um, there are illustrations of this in conjunction with arrow, but we're just looking at the specific word today. So, for instance, um, there, there are illustrations where arrow, A-I-R-O, is used in conjunction with the hand. That's the same thing. Let's look at a couple of them. Um, Revelation 10. Turn in your Bible there. Or click on your screen and get, and get there. This is just, I love to hear the rustling of the leaves. That's what old-timey preachers used to say because they didn't have anything else to say while people were turning. Revelation 10, verse 1. 
I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven. There are so many themes that we've talked about in our studies. I'm not going to touch on all of them. I'm just going for this lifting of the hand business. Um, another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was as it were the sun, and his feet as stilos of fire. So he's connecting the ultimate spirit of judgment and burning in conjunction with the, 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 the ways of God, the rainbow covenant for the earth with Abram and, and Noah. And um, uh, he's, he's on the earth. And in, he has in his hand a little book open. This is the little book that Jesus had in his hand when he sat at the right hand, when he ascended to heaven as the, the slain lamb. He set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the earth. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and don't write them. In other words, don't write the progression of how intercessors have partnered with God throughout his ways to bring to this point. If you write them, then you take away faith and you take away, if, if people have an understanding of everything that's going to happen, where then is their trust in God? They just need to follow. The angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven. And here is the hand and arrow. And he swore by him. This is the oath that lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are therein, that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. And in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the musterion of God should be finished, teleos, as he has declared to his servant. Uh, and um, then there's a discussion for John, the little book. He takes it. He eats it up. It's in his belly bitter, just as the Old Testament prophet did. And John is seeing things that are to come, the fulfillment, the, the end of it. And then he's going to receive this commissioning to begin, really, the New Testament era. So, the mystery of God will be finished, the mysterion. Time will be no more. The angel is raising the hand and making this oath before God that time, heaven is timeless, God is timeless, but we have been given time. Time will be no more. And that the mysterion, that we have been the progressive revelation of the overall plan of God, we're praying that. We, we're praying in the Spirit. When you pray in the Spirit, you speak mysteries, mysterion. The seven thunders have finished. The mysterion is, is now going to be concluded. The ways of God and that partnership to bring to the culmination God's plan. The angel's lifting his hand and saying, okay, as an angelic representation, as a representation, this Iscarus angel is saying, both on the sea and on the land, it's done. We're coming to that day. But the lifting of the hand of this angel is very important because God is letting this angel declare through the spirit realm, declare through creation, to declare. Uh, amongst the angels that are, were faithful and those that rebelled, look, this thing is over now. That is coming. And the lifting of the hand is, is really, <laughs> this is the end zone for what we're laboring on earth to achieve for our Father. This is such an exciting thing. You know, the enemy knew this too. Um, you remember in the um, uh, in the wilderness temptation, where Jesus was taken to the pinnacle of the temple, that place that represented the dwelling 
of God uh, on earth and in heaven. Now, whether this was, now some people fight about this. Was this the temple in Jerusalem or was it the temple in heaven? I, I, I have to think that it represented what God originally wanted with the temple in Jerusalem, but that should align up with the temple in heaven. And really, in the days we read in Revelation, when this is all finished, there will be no more temple because we'll just be dwelling forever, fulfilling what the temple represented with the Lamb, the light, with God. So the enemy takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and says, why don't you throw yourself off of here because it is written that he will cause your angels to bear you up in their hands. That's very interesting because here it is, A-I-R-O, and the concept of the hands. Uh, and Jesus said, Jesus would not do that. He, he battled it, but and he, he confronted it with Scripture. But the enemy knew that there was a significant measure of what God was wanting to do in the fullness of his plan for the earth and for man. And in partnership with the angelic, what God was looking to was obedience and intercession, the fulfillment of his ways, the, um, the triumph of um, the, the intercession that would be through the epochs of time, the little book being fulfilled, which Jesus had received from the Father at his ascension, and the angel then lifting up his hand and asserting, all these things have been done. The mystery, this, this current mysterion is finished. Time is no more. Satan doesn't want that. He wants Jesus to do whatever it is that comes into the mind of a person on earth. And he, he wants to eliminate that partnership with the angelic in the hands being lifted up. I think that's interesting. However, let's look also at another concept regarding the hand. When Jesus was speaking about taking his yoke upon us. Um, that is arrow, and uh, it's us with our hands taking that yoke. And it really is symbolic to when the Jewish people would take up the Torah and they would they would take in their hands and lift it up as an oath, as a commitment. And they swear to fulfill the law and the teachings. This was known then. So when Jesus was talking about you take up the yoke, it, it was a similar thing. Now, you can keep going off of that. There's a lot of different places in the Scripture where, uh, you know, we're, we're taking up cross. We're taking up these things. But the issue there is not just, okay, boys, let's put our shoulder to it. It is that you are committing yourself with an oath to fulfill that covenant with God. And the, and the ultimate measure will be fulfilled when the ways of God, Revelation 10, is, um, is, is completed for the earth. Uh, you, you have... Um, you have the fulfillment of God's partnership with the, the seven thunders, with his intercessors. You have the, uh, the measure of the little book that Jesus took at his ascension being fulfilled. And you have the hand being raised saying, Mysterion and time, no more. That's the, that's, that's the objective. And, um, you know, I think the book of Revelation, we've said this before, is as a scroll. And God talks about things, and then he, you look back in time to where, um, you know, like even there in Revelation 10, 
you see the end result, and then you see John taking the little book and eating it. His belly's bitter, and he's going to teach to the nations and whatever. Well, that doesn't happen after all these things are fulfilled and time is no more. It, it would be pointless. So you, you have the line upon line of the rolling of that scroll, but the objective is what what this angel represents. And the enemy knows it, and it's time that we know it. So we lift up our heads. We remember what God has caused us to, um, to commit ourselves to as saints, as sons. We're not bound, bowed down to the world. We make sure our head under the headship of Jesus is lifted up with the oath that we have been commissioned and we have accepted. And we remember that we're partnering with the angelic toward that finality of what Jesus came to earth to bring. We are looking for the fulfillment of that ransom payment. And this is heady stuff. When we see these things begin to come to pass, don't be down, bowed down by them. Remember your oath and your covering from the Lord for what you've got to do and um, know that the redemption, the fulfillment of the ransom, the, the absolute fulfillment will be done. And be as the fig tree. Be, be, as, the, be as the fig tree. Receive, receive what God is telling you. Don't fail to keep seeking him. Don't, don't stop looking to that commune with God and to the fresh revelation that God would bring. Uh, th- this, is so, this is so important for us to recall and, and to remember. And um, um, know that the, the kingdom of God is, is coming. Um, it's nigh at hand, and we are we're not we're what God is doing is not going to pass away till it's all fulfilled. Stay in the Word. What a treatise Jesus is bringing! It's amazing. Now, in the time we have left, and we have plenty of time, I'd like for us to look at specific instances of epero, which is the 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 fulfillment of the raising of you, your hand, whatever, uh, in a vow. It is, it is a legal oath. We've explored the concept here. We've seen it. But let's look where this word itself is used. We're not going to look at every one of them, but we're looking at specific ones. You can study the rest of them. Uh, in Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, Verses 17 through 23. I'm enjoying this. Uh, this, is, this is more of a study session for us. We're not giving you three cl- quick points for you to raise up and click your heels and then need another one tomorrow. This is meat. Luke 6, verse 17. He came down with them and stood in the plain in the company of disciples. A great multitude of people came out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits, they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes, there is a pero, on his disciples, and said, Blessed be you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you that hunger now, you'll be filled. Blessed are you that weep now, you will laugh. Blessed are you when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. Why, why are we talking about this one? 
because this is a modified beatitude, beatitudinal uh, release. And Jesus lifts up, he lifts up his eyes. And it, so he is focusing the, the lamp of the Lord, the light of God, in, in an oath. And he pronounces it upon his disciples. Why did he choose that moment? Why? I mean, look what had just happened. People were flocking to Jesus. There were evil spirits flicking off left and right. People were being healed. There was, there was, there was amazing, amazing demonstration of the power of God. And at that moment, Jesus lifts his eyes. Epero, this is the oath. And he speaks to them about not all the fanfare, not all the bells and whistles. He speaks to them about what their calling really is. Do you see this? It's kind of like when God commanded Elijah after the, the pyrotechnic displays and the rocks being broken by the winds and all those things and the still small voice and the mantle around his head. Kind of that concept. Today, we need to remember what is most important. What are these principles that we are to become in order to best fulfill our identity before God as sons? That's the oath that Jesus is proclaiming. That's why he came. He doesn't epero and look on the crowds and start doing all kinds of miracles. That's not the oath. Do you see that? That's not the apex. Those are signs of it. That's functionality of it. <clears throat> the essence of it is what we're to be and to become as sons. Do you see this? I hope you do. I'll reference this one. In, um, in Matthew 17, there was the time when Elijah and Moses appeared to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and the disciples were there, and after Elijah and Moses went back up into heaven, Jesus comes to them and stirs them because they were weighted down by the the amazing um, by the amazing depth of what was being manifested. And and Jesus um, lifted up his eyes. Uh, maybe we should look at that. Matthew 17, verses 5 through 8. And when he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. They, they came to a realization at that point that um, this, is, this is the one we're committing ourselves to. They... There was a commitment there. They lifted up their eyes. Epero, very specific word used. It wasn't just arrow. It was epero, which was the lifting up for an oath. It's interesting. Oh, let's look at John 4. John 4, verse 35. I have my electronic Bible here with me. But I'm specifically looking at the scriptures just so some of your purists don't think I'm making this up. Um, John 4.35 Say ye not, there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, 
Lift up your eyes. Look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. You know, there's so many people that are time setters. People like for somebody to predict. They like the Gene Dixon kind of prophecies. When's this going to happen? When's this going to happen? Tell us. Jesus says, don't focus on that. I say, lift up your eyes at Pero and look on the fields. They're white already to harvest. You've got to view things not from the mind's perspective, but from the perspective of knowing that you are committed to God, the harvest is his, and how you perceive things should be through that oath that you have taken with God. I, I love that. When Jesus was ready to, um, to ascend into heaven, uh, finally, uh, Luke 24, verse 50, says this, And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands. There's Epero in its purest, its purest form. And blessed them. And it came to pass that as he eulogioed them, he was parted from them and carried up in heaven. He was blessing them. He was committing them to the, per the perfect purpose of God and to the eternal logos, eulogio. But he did that by lifting up his hands. That was the last specific work Jesus would do before he rose to the Father. Uh, in, in, now, now, he is always with us. He's working with us. He never leaves us or forsake us. He's in your terio. All those things Jesus is active doing now. But as far as his initial ministry on earth, this was the last task he did. He lifted up his hands as an oath. Now, we've talked about the lifting of the hands before. We've talked about how the hands represent partnership with God, how that, in, it, like in the New Testament, they, the, the word means empty, it means winter, it means storm, and you, you always begin your partnership with God, um, not when those hands are filled with plenty, but fulfilled with, um, with saying, I don't know all that you're going to do, but I want you, Father, and I submit myself to serve you here at this beginning point. So the hands represent that. But when you're lifting them both up in this apparel, Jesus is saying, this is an oath. This is a covenant, and I'm swearing to it now before the Father that what I have come here to do, I am now testifying to all the spirit realm, to this earth, to creation, to the heavens, before my God, that you are now commissioned to fulfill the eternal logos of God. You are to fulfill it in its perfection. That is a wonderful thing. And I think we need to recognize that. Now, I want us to look at um, two more passages. First is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Exalt itself is epero and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Why are we looking at this verse? Because there are so many other points of knowledge and high things of the enemy and doctrines of devils that are attempting to get you to pledge your allegiance to them instead of your allegiance being to God 
You may even say, oh yes, my allegiance to God is to God, but there are many gods. There are many ways. You get all mystic-y in your voice. The Buddhists, they served God. Hindus, there are deeper understandings, hidden things that are not in the scripture, but they're all God. It's the same song and dance that the serpent did with Eve. You better be careful. You better be careful because these things will attempt to exalt themselves against the true gnosis of God. They will want your allegiance. And the thing is, you, no man can serve two masters. You realize that? Um, you know, we can't serve God and the world. We can't serve God and the devil. We can't say, oh yes, I am pledged to the things that God is doing that I've committed to, but I'm also pledging myself to this over here. You can't do that. It's bigamy. It's sure bigamy, but it's not big of you. That's 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 a it's a it's you're married to two things. You can't be a bigamist in, in this. You cannot swear an oath here and then swear a different oath over here. You can't do that. I mean when I remember when I was a kid and many of you did this too. I, I know the, the school my granddaughters go to, they still do it. You would stand in the morning and either put your hand over your heart or you'd lift your hand. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Man, oh man, people trying to get rid of that. They want to pledge themselves to some new wokey theology uh, of, of uh, one-worldism. But we pledged as United States citizens that while we're in this land, we're going to submit ourselves to the ideals of the republic, to the pure democratic system. Now that we can pledge there while under God. Notice that in that pledge. Under God. One nation under God. And I'm under God. He let me live in this country. I'm going to do everything I can to be a good American. But I have no qualms about who I'm really under. My oath eternally is before God. And so there are a lot of influences right now that are trying to deceive even the elect. There are a lot of bells and whistles. And, you know, I could go off on this. I don't need to. It's causing people to get bended, bended down. And we need to take our eyes off of that and lift up our heads and look to God and be what we're supposed to be. But cast down imaginations and every high thing, every demonic depth that would want you to pledge yourself to it against the knowledge of God. And you need to bring into captivity every one of those thoughts and submit them to the obedience in Christ. And when you have done that, you be ready to turn that thing, to revenge all of that disobedience. This is... Do, do you look on things, verse 7, after the outward appearance? If any man trust himself that he is Christ, let him think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. Don't look on the outward appearance. Don't let fear drive you. Don't let hatred, don't let incredulity drive you. Don't let any kind of... There's a lot of stuff that could just despair you right now, make you angry. But you've got to come to grips with those things. And you you and for heaven's sake, you cannot give yourself over to doctrines of devils. You you cannot you cannot surrender the things you've learned in God. God has taught you this from his word and taken an allegiant oath to another thing. 
that this is the clearest debunking of progressive theology of anything we've known. And there's a price to pay for those who, who have committed themselves to God. I mean to God. And then commit yourself to some heresy. God help us. But this is Epero. One last one we want to look at. And it's Paul's writing to Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, lifting up holy hands. Um, that is, that is a, an incredible thing. Um, I, 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 I'm amazed that the Lord would bring us throughout all the other ways we have studied this. Um, I'm amazed that God has preserved this this to to this time to emphasize the oath. Uh, it's it's just it's just incredible to me. Um, Paul wants every person to prosukamai everywhere. And in doing that, we lift up. We, we epero. This is hosios. We lift up um, these, these wonderful, wonderful privileges that we have to, to walk. Now, this is hosios. This is lawful things things that you are you are going to fulfill it's not necessarily hagios this is hosios this is to to fulfill the points that you have to do you, your lip you, so in other words you're praying in prosuke which is partnership prayer in supplication with god and you are swearing this oath with hands that say, I'm going to fulfill everything that you have asked me to fulfill. And um, I'm not going to give place to wrathful reactions, and I'm not going to give place to doubting. It's exactly what we have spoken about. It's exactly what we, what we have spoken about. And um, I think that same word is for us today everywhere God is wanting us to enter into supplication prayer. He's wanting us to, um, to lift our hands as an oath of partnership and agreement with God for his eternal will. That we are saying that we're going to fulfill everything he's requiring of us. We're not going to give ourselves over to wrath and we're not going to give ourselves over to those second guessings and um, bowing down, well, I just don't know how God could be letting this happen. Yes, it's not a sin to be tested by these. It is a sin to give place to them. This is a word from God to us today. So we go back to what our initial passage was. In Luke 21, where Jesus is saying things about the end times, um, we, we must, in Luke 21, we, we remember that the Lord says, first of all, don't let yourself be bowed down. Don't, don't, um, don't, you need to unbend yourself. Luke chapter 21, uh, verse 28. Ah, wow. 
Look up. Are you bowing down today in despair? Or are you looking up? And we need to lift up our heads. We need to get our measure where we come under the authority of God. We need to lift up our heads. We need to commit our heads to this swearing of the oath before God and recognizing that that's who we are and what we will do because our redemption, the fulfillment of the ransom is near. We need to be as the fig tree and we need to recognize that Jesus is needing us. He's hungry for figs right now. It's before the time. While everybody else is running around, angry, protesting, doing this, doing that, in the still small voice, Jesus is saying, think properly, remember your oath, keep your eyes on the end game, and minister to me, meet with me, commune with me, hold true to my word. This is so important for us. This is a deep teaching. I, admittedly, readily, I, I confess to that. We could have dolled it up and yelled and preached and got everybody evangelized. But if you don't understand this, the euphoria of that stirring of the passions will soon be gone. And really... What I believe God is wanting for us, I know we're a little bit over time, that's fine. Um, those of you who are listening to this at double time, you still have another, you have another hour coming. <laughs> um, we need to reiterate our commitment to God. And we need to recognize what's really happening now in the spirit realm whether whoever's in the presidential office in eternity, it's not going to matter. You as saints are called to a really unique task of serving God in this way. So the apero is to take an oath and to commit. Uh, at the end, Revelation 10, the angel is going to say, as he lifts his hand, that the fulfillment of the ways of God is there. He's been commissioned by God. That's upon his head. He's been commissioned by God to proclaim it. Time is no more. The mystery, mysterion of God is finished. And um, then he gives the little book. You know, in this year of prophecy, we are... Whew, that little book, Making the Belly Bitter, is, is ours do you, do you know that? <laughs> what a task. What a privilege. So I would that men and women everywhere, <clears throat> prosuke, and that you lift, you, you take the oath, and you swear to fulfill everything that God requires. I'm not going to give place to wrath, and I'm not going to give place to doubting. We need to reaffirm that oath. So I encourage you, when you finish this broadcast, go before God and make that recommitment. Cast down imaginations and every demonic pneumaticos thing that would try to get you to take an oath against the knowledge that God has given you. That is powerful for this day. <laughs> I don't know how many people are doing this, and that really doesn't matter. It's whether we do it. We have the word. We've been commissioned. We must do it. I speak blessing over you. I continue to declare the blood of Jesus over all of you. May you walk in health and in strength and in victory. And I bless you. In fact, 
I don't want to be gimmicky. You can't see me, so you don't know whether I'm sitting on my hands or what. I'm lifting my hands up now before our Father on behalf of the saints, and I declare a blessing over you in our, and over me and over this house as we continue to pursue the eternal will of God in the fulfillment of his purpose. And I do that in Jesus' name. Be well and be strong. God loves you. Thanks for tuning in. Goodbye.